the psalmist uh, writes these words. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. Lord, we're looking at a familiar passage of scripture this evening and we want to know that power of your word this evening uh, in our lives. Uh, We want uh, to hear your majestic voice, that voice that twists the oaks, strips the forests bare, that voice that uh, peels back the layers into our hearts and exposes what we really think and what we really feel. Uh, And we pray this evening you would speak to each one of us powerfully afresh, uh, that we may love you more and serve you more. Amen. Uh, If you uh, have a Bible, uh, please uh, keep it open at that uh, passage Janet just read for us. Uh, We are looking at uh, Luke uh, chapter 1 from verse uh, 46. Uh, Apologies uh, if you're one of those Scrooges who uh, are trying to forget that Christmas is is 12 months away, but I wonder uh, if you have a favourite Christmas carol. Most of us probably do, I imagine. Uh, Just before Christmas, Classic FM held a poll to find out what was the uh, nation's favourite Christmas uh, carol. Uh, The top five in ascending order were as follows. See if your favourite makes it in. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In the Bleak Midwinter. O Come All Ye Faithful. O Holy Night. And topping the list, can you guess it? Silent Night, yes it was. Whether that's got to do with the 1914-2014 connection, I don't know. But Silent Night was uh, the winner. My particular favourite happens to be uh, Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, Not just because it's got a good tune, or I think it has got a good tune, uh, but really because of the words. Um, I love the fact that it's it's so full of rich biblical imagery. Um, It it celebrates wonderfully the goodness of God in sending um, a saviour. Uh, And this evening, all this talk about Christmas carols is because we're actually looking at another carol uh, this evening, this uh, hymn that uh, we have here, traditionally called the Magnificat. Uh, It's been part of Christian worship for something like 1,500 years, we reckon, probably even more than that, uh, at a guess. Uh, If you're a long-standing Anglican, you'll uh, know that it's part of the uh, Anglican Church's uh, evening prayer from the uh, prayer book, uh, if uh, that's uh, something you you can remember. It's been part of Christian worship for many, uh, many, many years. Like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it's packed full of biblical references, Old Testament references, uh, looking back, and yet it celebrates the same, the mercy of God in remembering his promises to send a saviour. Uh, it is at both at once, the, uh, the last of the Jewish psalms and the first of the Christian hymns. It kind of bridges uh, that gap between the two. Uh, and it's uh, like all good hymns, it teaches us some wonderfully powerful truths uh, about God. So let's uh, dive in straight away, shall we? Uh, I want us to see, first of all, uh, that God recognises the humble. God recognises the humble. Uh, look with me from verse 46. Uh, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble states of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Um, A uh, writer and philosopher, Thomas Carlyle, a long, long time ago, said that wonder is the basis for all worship. Uh, And it's true, certainly here for Mary. She begins her song of praise in awesome wonder at the grace and the character of God 
uh, who's called her and uh, blessed her. I don't know about you, but I think if I was in her situation, uh, I'd be tempted to be a little bit arrogant and puffed up. Uh, we found out last week, didn't we, if you were here, uh, that she'd just been told uh, that she is to bear the saviour of the world, the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for. It's pretty good, isn't it? I'd be uh, bragging about that if I was her. And yet her focus is entirely on God. It's not on her really at all, actually. Uh, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, uh, my saviour. Um, At the heart of her wonder is a recognition of her own neediness and God's greatness. Uh, For example, right from the very start, uh, she starts by acknowledging that like all human beings, her biggest need is of a saviour. Verse 47, it's just there for us, isn't it? My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Roman Catholics for many, many years have taught this uh, so-called doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, i.e. that the Virgin Mary uh, was free from that stain of sin that afflicts the rest of humankind. Uh, In some miraculous way, she was born free of it. Uh, This passage uh, contradicts that entirely, doesn't it? Mary's own words tell us that that cannot be true. Uh, She knows that she's a sinner. She knows that she's under God's wrath and righteous judgment, just like anybody else in world history. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of of God. And yet the wonderful news is that God has sent a saviour, the Lord Jesus, to deal with sin and to save his people uh, from their sins, as the angel said uh, to Joseph back in Matthew. Mary rejoices that God has seen her need. He's seen the need of the whole world, the biggest need that we could possibly have, the need of a saviour, and sent the Lord Jesus. Well, alongside that, she celebrates, doesn't she, that God has recognised her Uh, Even if she's a little person, she's of little account in the eyes of the world. uh, Because it's the way of God to recognise the humble. It's pretty hard, I think, for us to just imagine just how humble Mary's state was. Uh, She was young, she was probably a teenager. Uh, She was very poor from a a lowly family, peasant background. She grew up in a pretty obscure town, even uh, by by, by those standards. Uh, She was a nobody in the eyes of of the world, and yet God has exalted her. God has chosen her for an amazing task to bear his son, and all generations will call her blessed. We shouldn't be surprised that God chooses somebody like Mary, somebody humble, somebody who in the world's eyes doesn't add up to very much. Uh, It has always been the pattern of God to do so. Think right through, back through the Bible. Think of David. He was the smallest of the brothers. He was out tending sheep. Uh, Saturday, they, they, Jesse didn't even consider him when they were looking for a king. Uh, think of Gideon, the uh, man that God raised up in the terrible period of the Midianites to uh, lead the Israelites. He, he was uh, hiding in a wine press. Uh, claimed that uh, he couldn't do it. His tribe was the least in all of uh, Manasseh. Uh, he was the least in his family. Uh, God always chooses those whom, in the world's eyes, would seem the most unlikely people uh, to be chosen. Uh, Each of those people from Bible history, individuals who, though they were humble uh, in the world's eyes, they were humble before God. They feared God. They allowed themselves to be used by him. Uh, Because while man looks on the outside, the scriptures tell us, the Lord looks on the heart. God recognises the humble. 
many of you will be familiar with um, the American evangelist Billy Graham, who was particularly famous in the last century. Uh, he is estimated to have preached to more people than any other person in history. Someone's done the maths and worked out, they reckon he's preached to over 2.2 billion people over the course of his ministry. That's an astonishing figure, isn't it? I don't know how they work that out, but, uh, but anyway. Uh, he would seem to be a really unlikely person uh, to be used by God in that way. Uh, he was born on a, uh, from a really humble family. He grew up on a farm in uh, rural North Carolina uh, in, uh, in the States. Uh, he wasn't particularly gifted academically at school. Uh, he wasn't even a particularly good boy growing up. Uh, he would seem to be a really, really unlikely person for God to use. And yet God really has used him. Uh, it's reckoned that an estimated 3.2 million people have been brought to the Lord Jesus through his uh, speaking ministry, his writing ministry, uh, and his personal ministry. Uh, and many people throughout history can testify to his humility uh, uh, before God and uh, before others. God delights to use the people who, in the world's eyes, can be written off of no account. Uh, I don't know about you, maybe you're tempted this evening to think that God couldn't use you. Little old me, what, what have I got to do with God's plans? How could he use me? That's for big people, isn't it? The people who can go out the front and do sermons and lead worship and things like that. Uh, maybe you're thinking, how could God possibly use me? Well, the wonderful truth that Mary celebrates is that God is looking for those people. They don't have to be impressive. In fact, the least impressive, the better. All he asks is that we put ourselves in his hands, uh, that we come to him uh, in humility and let him use, use us. That's the first thing. God recognises the humble. Uh, secondly, Mary goes on to say that God reverses the world's order. God reverses the world's order. Let's read on, shall we, from verse uh, 51. Uh, Mary says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Excuse me. <coughs> but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Uh, one commentator has very boldly said that the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world's history. It's a pretty big statement, isn't it? The most revolutionary document in all the world's history. Uh, I think what he means by that is not so much that the Magnificat is politically revolutionary. It's not like the Magna Carta or uh, the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights or something like that. But it's personally revolutionary. Uh, the revolution that it talks about is a revolution fundamentally of the heart. It's an inward revolution. The coming of the Lord Jesus in his glory, in his kingdom, is a revolution of the heart. Uh, so sure is Mary that this revolution will be achieved, uh, that she speaks of it in the past tense. Uh, all these things that she states, uh, these things, things that, uh, that the revolution will bring, the revolution of the Lord Jesus, are all in the past tense, even though when she wrote it, they hadn't actually happened yet. You see, she's so, she's so certain that what God has said will come true, that she can write of it basically as having done. If God has said it, it's as good as done. Uh, it's an accomplished fact. Well, what is this revolution that Jesus will bring and that Mary speaks of? Uh, firstly, it's a revolution that will scatter uh, the proud, verse 51. Uh, the coming of Jesus is deeply subversive to the ways of the world. Think about it. He was the king of kings, the lord of lords. Uh, yet he didn't receive a royal welcome. Far from it. He was rejected. There wasn't even room for him. Uh, we're told uh, in, uh, in uh, Bethlehem. 
He was born into poverty, a humble family, not a palace like any other uh, prince or king should deserve. Uh, He grew up, he lived a servant, he died as a common criminal. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Uh, He will say later in Luke's Gospel that he comes not for the righteous, we might expect not for the good people, but for the sinners, the people who know that they've messed up, the people who know that they need a second chance. Uh, Christ scatters the proud. That's the first part of the revolution. Jesus has come uh, to, uh, to scatter the proud of hearts, to come for the lowly. Well, alongside this, uh, Mary says that there is a revolution of power coming. Verse 52, uh, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Similar theme to what we've uh, heard before. Uh, the coming of Christ spells an end for all those who in, uh, in uh, history have abused their power and made the lives of their subjects an absolute misery. It's not surprising, is it, when you think about it, that uh, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Herod uh, the Great tried to kill Jesus at his birth. He realised that if this uh, saviour, this, this king, grew up, that that would be a challenge to his authority. Uh, Mary's child is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his lordship, Paul tells us in Philippians. Isaiah tells us he is the one who will reign on David's throne, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness forever. The kings and princes and leaders and uh, tyrants of this world are temporary. The reign of the Lord Jesus, which began at his birth and will come to fulfilment fully uh, at his return, overturns those power structures of this world. He is the one who uh, will overturn the power um, of this world. Thirdly, it's a revolution, uh, Mary says, of contentment. Verse uh, 53. Uh, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Uh, the cry of the psalmist many years before uh, was that his soul thirsted for the living God. Uh, Mary rejoices that that desire, the desire of the psalmist, the desire of all righteous people through history, is satisfied forever by the Lord Jesus by his coming. Jesus himself said, didn't he? We've got it recorded for us in John's Gospel. He's the bread of life. He said that he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Mary celebrates that Jesus satisfies in a way that nothing else can possibly manage to do so. And yet for those who seek their satisfaction in earthly things, in the things of this world, Uh, Disappointment awaits, because she says, while the hungry are going to be filled, the rich will be sent away empty, with nothing. Uh, They will be left unsatisfied. To all who feel their need of him, he says, come. He promises contentment. You drink from him, you come to him, you will find that contentment that your soul is longing for, that nothing else can manage to satisfy. And yet to those who reject him, those who want none of that, they will get their rewards. They will have nothing. Uh, the philosopher Kierkegaard uh, used to tell a parable about how um, a jeweller's shop was broken into. But instead of nicking uh, all the jewels, as you might expect, the thieves simply turned the price tags around 
on the, uh, on the items. So you can imagine what happened. The stuff that was really, really expensive and worth lots got sold for hardly anything. And the stuff that was paste and really wasn't worth very much at all got, sell, got sold uh, for, uh, for a fortune. Uh, and it's a picture of the effect on our world that sin has had. Uh, the rebellion of all of us against God. Uh, we refuse to value what we really should value in the world. And instead, we value what really isn't actually that important at all. And the coming of Jesus in his kingdom uh, changes the price tags back to how they should be. It reverses the order of the world to follow the order of the kingdom. Uh, And the question for each of us this evening is, uh, which one will we follow? Are we going to follow the ways of the world? Or are we going to follow the ways of the kingdom, the ways of the Lord Jesus? Uh, Are we going to ally ourselves with the humble king? Or will we be proud? Uh, Will we bow the knee to the servant king, the one who gave up everything uh, for us? Or will we seek to enthrone ourselves uh, and abuse the power that we have? Will we find our satisfaction in him? Or are we going to try and seek it elsewhere? The coming of Christ reverses the world's order. We have a choice to make. Do we go along with that? Uh, Or do we try and stand against it and discover at a later date our folly? The choice is ours. In coming in Christ, God reverses the world's order. Finally, Mary uh, celebrates that God remembers his promises. God remembers his promises. Uh, Verse uh, 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even, as he said, to our fathers. Well, a little riddle for you. What uh, connects a wedding ring, a stamp, and a credit card? I wonder. What connects a wedding ring, a stamp, and a credit card? Uh, They are all everyday symbols of uh, promises. Uh, Everyday, uh, husbands and wives, for example, uh, seek to honour the promises they made back on their wedding day uh, to love and to serve one another. And the wedding ring, I guess, is a, is a daily reminder of that. It's a daily symbol of those promises that they've made. Uh, every day, or certainly, well, I don't know, probably send email nowadays, don't we? But I send letters anyway. We post letters uh, in the post box, uh, and we trust in the promise of uh, Royal Mail that they're going to be delivered to their recipients. Uh, we pay for things every day with our credit cards. Uh, and again, it's a promise that at some point in the future, we're going to pay for that, really, for that which uh, we, uh, we have paid for. And for the most part, those promises are honoured, aren't they? Uh, We pay off our our credit cards, our letters get delivered, uh, husbands and wives uh, keep their promises to each other. But sadly, uh, every so often, things don't quite go like that. Promises aren't always honoured. Marriages fall apart, sadly. Uh, Letters, parcels get lost. Uh, People fall into debt. Not every promise ends up being honoured. And Mary rejoices that by contrast to the ways of the world, God always keeps his promises. He always remembers uh, what he has promised. He doesn't fail to honour them like we do. Uh, When he makes a promise, it will surely come to pass. Uh, In particular, she celebrates uh, that he has remembered two very, very special promises that he made uh, to his people back in the Old Testament. Uh, She celebrates, firstly, uh, that God has remembered his promise of mercy. Uh, verse 54. Uh, right throughout the history of Israel, uh, God had promised to his people that he would be merciful to them. Uh, the prophet Micah said this, 
Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant? Uh, Time and time again through the history of the Bible, uh, God's people were not faithful. They rejected God, they went uh, after false gods, uh, and and they rejected uh, God. At the time that Mary spoke, uh, they were under the yoke of Rome. The Romans had come in, they uh, were in charge. Uh, And it was a pretty desperate time for God's people. Uh, Many of them were giving up on uh, the old uh, Jewish faith that they'd held for many years. Uh, And they were going searching for answers in paganism, so pagan religions, uh, and even in terrorism as well. No surprise, uh, their terrorism has always been uh, with us. They had forgotten the faithfulness of God, the promises that he'd made all the way back uh, to his people. Uh, He had not treated them as they deserved. Time and time again, uh, he'd come back to them, even when they'd rejected him. Uh, He delights to show mercy. And yet Mary hadn't forgotten those truths. She rejoices that God remembered his promise of mercy. He didn't deal with his people uh, as he might do. And how he remembered his promise of mercy is shown by the second promise uh, that she celebrates. Uh, He's remembered. The promise of the Messiah. Uh, Long, long ago, uh, God had promised to Abraham and to his descendants that one day he would send his anointed king, this Messiah, Uh, the saviour who was going to deal with sin forever and he would rule uh, like no other king uh, could rule. He would rule the world with justice and righteousness. Uh, And as Israel's history went on, as time progressed, uh, gradually more and more of that picture was revealed through the prophets. The prophets came one by one and each of them uh, revealed in a slightly different way, a little bit more uh, of the picture. What this uh, Messiah was going to look like, what he was going to do, what it would mean for the world. Uh, By the time of Mary, uh, over 400 years had passed uh, since the last prophet uh, had been to uh, speak to the people. Uh, And I guess, no doubt, there were many people at the time who were wondering if something had just gone a little bit wrong. Uh, Had God forgotten about his people? Was it ever really going to happen? Was it all just a load of rubbish, these guys having us on? And yet Mary celebrates. No, in his timing, through her, God has remembered his promise. The promise that he made all these years ago to Abraham that he revealed through uh, the prophets, he has sent the Saviour. God remembers his promises. Uh, We're at the start of the new year, 2015. Uh, There's much that is uncertain about the world. We've just seen that this week, haven't we? Uh, With um, the the shootings in France. Uh, Worldwide, Islamic terrorism seems to be on the rise uh, again. Uh, Global politics seem increasingly unstable. Uh, The climate is changing, Uh, the economy is still struggling, Uh, even uh, globally and locally. Uh, Those things that uh, we might be tempted to put our trust in are proving uh, to uh, be false. Who do we put our trust in instead? Praise God, we do not serve a God who is unreliable, a God who is untrustworthy, a God who lies. No, we serve a God who keeps his promise. From everlasting to everlasting, a Lord's love is with those who fit him, says the psalmist. He's always merciful. He's always true to his word. He's always ready to welcome us back, to offer us a second chance, just as he did with the people of Israel. We can rejoice with Mary. We have a God who remembers his promises. He doesn't forget, but he remembers his promises. Well, along with uh, Hart the uh, Herald Angels Sing, uh, Charles Wesley wrote another carol, uh, which is slightly lesser known, I guess, but some of us will probably know it, uh, called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. 
Uh, and there's a wonderful verse in it, which I just want to uh, finish with, which I think sums up a lot of what um, Mary has been singing about, so we've been looking at. Let me read it to you. Uh, Wesley writes, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, the joy of every longing heart. Let us find our rest and satisfaction in the Lord Jesus, the one who came uh, for us. He satisfies us, he saves us in our weakness. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, how we praise you that you did come. You came to set your people free after years of waiting, years of longing. In the fullness of time, you came. Uh, And how we praise you that uh, you do set us free from our fears. We can trust you. We can come to you. Uh, You answer our longings for meaning, for forgiveness, for satisfaction. And we pray that we would be uh, like Mary. We would uh, rejoice in your coming uh, and that you would use us as you used Mary to further your kingdom, that others may come to know of you and to love you and serve you. Amen.